Uh, but we lost uh, a young firefighter that night that uh, got caught, caught inside, got away from the line for whatever reason. We don't know uh, why this firefighter crawled away from his captain and away from his line. Um, immediately, uh, the captain reported he couldn't, couldn't find him, and the firefighter had the tick with him. Uh, so the captain didn't even didn't have the tick to look for him. Um, the captain followed the line back out of the house. And uh, we were by by that time, like a lot of departments, uh, a writ is it's just part of part of what you do. Don't ever let it be not part of what you do ever. Welcome back to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson. And this is part two of my conversation with Jeff Hudson, former fire chief from Shawnee, Kansas Fire Department and former regional sprinkler specialist for the National Fire Protection Association. If you haven't listened to episode 64 yet, make sure you go back and listen to that, where Jeff talks about his history of getting into the fire service and being the fire marshal. And ultimately, in this episode, he talks about how he became the fire chief and some important leadership lessons learned after he became the fire chief, and some very important lessons learned after that department had a line of duty death. For about four years, my fire chief asked me once or twice a year, when are you going to start that bachelor's program? I didn't realize why he was asking me. I didn't, I didn't know at the time. He did, but I didn't, and I never did it. And one day, and it was, it was probably in about 1999, and I had by that time started to think, you know, I might want to be fire chief someday, either here or somewhere else. That might be something I want to do. So I never talked to anybody about that, though. I never, yeah. never raised it. In 1999, my fire chief, this great mentor of mine, I was, it was about nine o'clock in the morning and I'm in my office, I'm at my desk and he walks in my office and he's in his grubby workout clothes and he closes the door. So I stand, well, anytime he came in, I always stood up. I just had have a lot of respect for this guy. I always stood up and he looked at me and he said, he always called me Mr. Fire Marshal. And he looked at me and his with as much emphasis as he could put on it, he said, Mr. Fire Marshal, I'm going to go work out, but I want to share something with you this morning before I go. If you think this city's ever going to hire a fire chief that doesn't have a bachelor's degree, you are sadly mistaken. The next day I was enrolled in an accelerated um, leadership program, university accredited mm -hmm. leadership uh, management and human relations was the name of the class. And, and I finished it up in about 14 months and had my bachelor's degree. It was an accredited school that was, it's well-respected here in the County. So it, it wasn't a degree that I felt was like, paper, was, yeah. but I was able to go to an accelerated program. That's the kind of guy, this, that's the kind of mentor this man was not just to me, but to many people. So he got tired of giving you the subtle hints and kind of came and shut the door and he went, did. here, here yeah. you go. Here it, is. here it is, down and dirty. Right after I finished my 
bachelor's degree, he announced his retirement. So it sounds like he was uh, grooming his succession plan right there. Had no idea. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way that guy was. He just was just a good, good, a good leader uh, all the way around. I don't care what he was doing. Always setting the right example for everyone in the community. He was so well respected. There's um, just an icon in the city now. Uh, Buck is, and I was fortunate, lucky, and blessed that he I, that he's my he was one of my mentors, my biggest mentor, mm. uh, and led me into that office. Put, and closed the door and t- yeah, <laughs> told you the way it was. That's right. And then he opened the door and left. There was no questions. I think that was no, a clue. Oh, there was a clue he left on no your desk. No right chance yeah. for rebuttal. Uh, <laughs> how was my day? No, he was out of there. And I guess he figured that was his last stand. That was the last time he was, I know that was the last time he was going to bring that, uh-huh. that up to me. So, um, he announced his retirement and glad you grabbed a clue then. Yes. Yeah. And I was uh, appointed interim, uh, fire chief for six months while everybody I think had a chance to look at me and they did an outside, they did the whole thing. Right. You went through the, the A process, yes. the yeah. process, yeah. Yeah. What was it yeah. like being a fire chief in a department that you started as a volunteer at? And what was it like in your later years as a fire chief? Obviously, it's bigger than three stations and four people. What did, what did, it, what did it evolve to? By that time, we had uh, about um, 40. No, I'm sorry. Yes, we had about 40 career people. Three staffed fire stations on 24-hour shifts, uh, one battalion chief, uh, a company officer, a captain at each fire station, and um, a fire prevention bureau that by that time, after the building department was moved out of the, out of the fire station, fire department, uh, came, there was a fire marshal and two fire inspectors in that bureau for years. And, uh, the, uh, the fire marshal, uh, that I was blessed to hire, he did not come from the inside. And it's a great story if you want to hear yeah, it. Go ahead. Um, but, uh, that was the size of our department when I came in as fire chief. When I left, we had, uh, 55 full-time, uh, career, uh, employees, um, three fire stations, but one of them was a new fire station. We closed one built and room. built the station that I first served at was shut down as a fire station. Public works took it over. And they just do that for an uh, old building or was it a, in a bad spot or both? Okay. It was, uh, the building needed to be updated. It wasn't near big enough for career people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I was lucky. I think every fire chief wants to build a fire station and I got to do that. Nice. And it was a, it was just such a great, um, and the, the great part about it was I didn't have to do anything. I, I put out an art department. We want it. We're going to build this station. I'd like a committee of people, a cross section of our department From their way, yeah. who wants it. come see me. And we put together a team of people and I sat back and those folks worked their tails off uh, for the next 18 months to get the an design. Un- unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. Helped, helped uh, with the design team, came up with, met with them, came up with this whole list of things that was important to us in a fire station, how big it should be, how many people it should 
B, a lot of our your listeners probably know that it is a rare occasion when you add on to a fire station. Mm-hmm. So we added on to the fire mm-hmm. station when we built it new and had it ready. You put the, you put the addition at the... We did. Oh, there you go. We had it ready for a two-crew fire station, and that has happened now. Yeah. Uh, it's looking forward for sure. Not, not, let's not build it what we need today. Let's build it what we need. You have to, because you, yeah. you'll never get to add on to it. Yep. Never, ever. So, so that was one of the great things that I was blessed to enjoy along and along, along my road there, my journey. So, um, I got appointed fire chief and th- my mentor, Buck, the previous fire chief came in to my office about two days after I was appointed. Buck was the longest serving fire chief the city ever had. He served just over 10 years and we had a great talk. And the last thing he said to me before he left, he looked at me and he said, so how long are you going to stay? And I said, one day longer than you. There you go. And I did. <laughs> did you? Yeah. I stayed about three months longer than, than he did. Yeah. Set the next record. Yeah. The next so, bar has been up. One day longer than you mm-hmm. chief. And, uh, he was a great sounding board for me during my, um, tenure as fire chief. Two things were going to happen when he pulled into the fire station. We were either going to have coffee or he was going to share with me where I screwed something up and he'd heard about it. And he was so, he never came and hung out at the fire station. He stayed away and he let me, he let me become the fire chief. It, in my mind, it took me about three years. I'm sure there's a lot of fire chiefs that knocked it out in two weeks, but it took me about three years before I ever felt like I was, I was a chief. There was a guy in the fire service that was pretty well known and he was from this area. His name's Don Mano and he was a training guy and big on, big on training. Some folks might know his name, some won't. And we, Right after I got appointed fire chief, I went to my first FRI, and he was there, and he looked at me. Now, he's a three-bugle chief in another department, but he's the only guy I ever felt like had six bugles on his chest. Yeah. Um, he he drug me aside. He goes, congratulations, I got one thing to say to you. Every morning when you get up, you look in the mirror, and you go, I'm the chief. I'm the fire chief. And it was good advice. It helped me. It helped me convince myself that convince yourself, that yeah. I I could be a leader in that in that position. Yeah. Was it was it tough? Because I mean, I, I you probably knew everybody in the department by that point. Being a, a seasoned member of the department, was it tough being the fire chief over people that you might have worked with in the past? It was, and I made it worse. Oh. And I made it worse. This is my biggest regret as a leader. When I came in as fire chief, and I had been working with some of these guys, my battalion chiefs, I shouldn't say mine, but our battalion chiefs were 20, 25 year fire department employees, not probably between 15 and 20 by that time, but well-respected battalion chiefs and leaders in our department, in our, in the Shawnee fire department. And I made a huge mistake. I made an assumption that because we had worked together for so long that they knew what I wanted. They, they understood what my boundaries were, where I, where I felt like we should work together to take our department 
And I didn't tell him. I made an assumption that we've worked together. These guys know how I think. I should have brought them in one at a time, first of all, and said, what do you want to do? What do, you, what do you want to do with your career? Where are we messing up? Where are we doing good? Here's what I love. And lay it out for them in very explicit, plain terms so there's no misunderstanding what what my expectations as the fire chief, as their, now their boss, had not only of them, but their shift in our department as a whole. And I didn't do it. And that made it easy for when situations arose for it to be, well, we didn't know you wanted it that way. And some of them were big deals. Uh. And I messed up. I had nothing to fall back on. I said, I told you that if you had somebody that I don't appreciate when people aren't honest with us about their time off, about their over, or whatever. And I didn't do that. And it, so I had ground to gain back that I wouldn't have had to gain back in some situations. So the message to your listeners, uh, Robbie, is when you take a position, whether it's a fire marshal's position and you've got a new group of folks that you're working with, sit, do them the favor. Don't do yourself the favor. Do them the favor of sitting down with them and having that conversation. Mm -hmm. It won't take long and it will save trouble down the road a problem down the road i guarantee it well, it's a it's a favor to them in the short term and a favor to you in the long it term is. because you won't have that that problem down the yeah. road to have and to... they deserve that yeah. and they deserve to have me sit down with them one-on-one -on -one and as a group and say here's here's what we're going to do let's let's get to it yeah. and i didn't do that and that's my biggest regret of my fire service career is that part of my career missing that stuff yeah it it didn't cause us to have any falling out, but there was a lot of gray area. Sometimes it could have been cleared up right off the bat. I understand. So I'd encourage all of your listeners, if they take on that new position, do your subordinates, your new folks, the favor of sitting down with them. Let them know you care about them, and that's why you're talking. Does that kind of fall into the under the heading of that uh, that old saying about when you assume it makes an ass out of you and me every time? Don't don't assume. Have that conversation ahead of time. Yeah, been my experience. So um, that was not a fun part of of, of my journey. Uh, we got through it, uh, but I wish I'd have done it different. They deserved better yeah. than I gave them in that moment. Um, the other thing I didn't do, I didn't have a department retreat. And I should have, I should have brought all the leaders together in our department and had a one or two day, bring somebody in and let them tear it apart. Let them tear us, let us tear apart our department. I don't mean in a bad sense, break it apart. Look at, look under, look behind the doors, look under the carpet, see what find, we need to find fix. those skeletons. Exactly. And we didn't, and I didn't do that. Yeah. And a good leader, that's such a simple do you thing. think it's easier for let's let's say you came into the department from scratch? You came in from from some other state and came in. Do you think that would would have been easier to do as a complete outsider? No question. Okay. At that time, I felt like our we don't need to do that. We're we're just going to keep marching we, on we, like we've we're been doing. working together for decades. We and, needed to do it. Yeah. We should have we should have done it. We should have found out 
we should have assessed our weaknesses right during the first month of my tenure as chief, which I was so humbled to be. And we should have done that. And we didn't. And I would encourage folks to do that. I think it's way more commonplace now than it mm-hmm. used to be, uh, but should have done it. It was available. I just didn't do it. Didn't do it. Yeah. Well, we've been, Joe, we've been talking for over an hour now, and I, I, I want to be respectful of your time, and it's getting kind of late in the day. But uh, you, you wound up being a fire chief for 10, 10 years and change to, to break that that record. And then went on. Did you go straight to NFPA from that point, or where? how did you get to I NFPA? Um, I Along the way, after my bachelor's degree, a couple of uh, – uh, why this had to be self-defense for me, I don't know, Robbie. <laughs> I don't like school. Okay? Like school. A couple of my uh, company officers started working on their uh, graduate degree. And I'm looking, I'm going, now what am I going to do? <laughs> am I going to be the fire chief that doesn't have a graduate degree and I've got these young folks coming up? What kind of an example am I setting by resting on my laurels here because I don't like to go to school? Get over it. I, my kids were raised. Our city had a, an education reimbursement program that was very lucrative I had the time. The number one public administration degree program in the nation was taught 20 minutes from my house. So I went back to school and got my graduate degree in public administration. So what I thought my career path was going to be at 57 when I retired from the fire department after 30, 30, uh, 36 years, including my five volunteer. I wanted, I worked for these two incredible city managers. I wanted to be one now. They were so awesome. And I want, that's what I wanted to do after the fire department. I was going to find some little burg like I live in now that would hire a city manager right out of college. And I thought, I'll bet I can get one of those jobs. I may not be able to get one in a community like Shawnee that needs a well-seasoned city manager, but I'll bet I can get one of those. Mm-hmm. And I want to do that. So that's where I had my sights. About three, I announced my retirement um, six months ahead of time. I wanted my city manager to know and everybody to know. And about three, about three weeks prior to my retirement, my phone rang and it was um, a, a young, young man who I have a great deal of respect for that works for the NFPA. And we had crossed paths a year or two before that while we were um, working together to stave off anti-residential sprinkler legislation. And I got a call and he said, Chief, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm not doing anything right now. What do you need? He goes, well, we heard you're retiring. And I said, I am. He said, I said, in about three weeks in September, September 16th, my last day. He said, what are you going to do after that? I said, I'm hoping to go find a city manager job somewhere. And he said, well, what if we had a job at the NFPA that you might be interested in? Because we think you'd be, you could fit, be a good fit in this position. I said, I never thought about it. So we talked more about it. And I came home. Um, My wife, Maggie, who cannot be left out of this story, 
um, because any of you, uh, I don't care if you're man or woman and you have that significant other, that's an incredible support, uh, part of your support system and encourages you and is patient with you and puts up with your moods when you get home from work and you're, <laughs> you're being gone from the, the birthdays and the anniversaries and she's the best at it. I uh, talked about it, uh, to her. We, I wouldn't have to move, but the job was going to enter going to be a lot of travel. Mm-hmm. Well, in, at our time in that season of our life, she would be able to travel with me if I was going someplace cool. So I said, okay, I called them back. I'll come out and interview. And, and they offered me a position as one of the two residential fire sprinkler specialists in the United States. I had done a lot of work on residential fire sprinkler legislation. I had long, long, long been a proponent of home fire sprinklers because of a couple of calls that are significant in my career. And so much so, I believe in them so much that when Maggie and I moved and built a new home, we included a residential fire sprinkler system in our home. I was going to get to that. You're, you're not you're not one of those sprinkler advocates that just talks the talk. You've back, actually backed it up with, we're sitting in your study here at your house, and there's, I can see three sprinkler heads from where I'm sitting right now. So We have eight grandchildren that spend a lot of time at our home, and I'll be darned if one of them's going to get hurt in a fire at our while they're at Nana and Hud's house. Uh, it's not going to happen. So um, I went to work for the NFPA. What an incredible, incredible opportunity. Uh, my job with them uh, was in this fire sprinkler advocacy campaign that the NFPA threw a lot of resources at. I think originally it was supposed to be a three-year advocacy campaign that turned into seven. Mm-hmm. And... I think I shared this with some folks that were here from the NFPA that were here at our home the other night. Um, there's an unintended benefit of going to work for the NFPA. First, you get to meet some of the most wonderful people in the United States in your travels. And there's a lot of good people out there, Robbie, you're meeting yep. them as well. Yep. There are good people wherever you go. They're everywhere. The unintended benefit are the relationships you build with your coworkers at the NFPA because many of them come out of the similar background and and value so much what they believe like you believe in what you're doing. You believe in it to the core. And what a great place for me to do what I believed in to the core uh, for the NFPA and and uh, travel and advocate advocate for residential fire sprinklers for seven years. And when it came to an end, I was sad. Yeah. Um, I but, was too. because <laughs> But it, did, it came to an end. Yeah. And, um, decisions are what decisions are, and uh, yeah, things changed. And yeah. It, it was uh But I think great, a lot of the work, a lot of the work that, that you guys did is still out there. I mean, you, you established a lot of state-level coalitions and showed – those groups, how to craft the message locally or at the state level or wherever they were working to kind of get everybody on the same sheet of music and start start using the accurate data. So I think I think that is a great description of what we did, because I never felt like the focus of this should be on the NFPA. It should be on that community that's trying to 
get those codes adopted for residential fire sprinkler requirements. That's where the spotlight should be, are the people in the trenches in those communities at the state level, not not us as the folks that bring a coalition and build a coalition and offer the resources to support that coalition. The spotlight's not supposed to be on us in the NFPA. It's got to be on our on the people that are on the that have boots on the ground in the trenches expending political capital for what they believe in. And folks have done that. Yep. Sometimes to their own detriment, but they believe in it. Yep. And that's where the that's where the benefit is. I mean if, if um there's a town in Delaware right now that's going through that challenge and they're they're getting through the city council and they're, they're coming up against the exact same walls that you came up against and others, and they're they're kind of fighting that battle, and um, that's where the benefit is. It doesn't benefit me. It's not going to benefit you in Kansas. It's going to benefit those people who buy those houses in that community in Delaware three years from now when that residential sprinkler requirement's in there. So, so true. Uh, yeah. So true, and there's they save lives. There's no question about it. They save lives. Yeah. The other the other line is is uh, well, what if everything gets wet? And my favorite line in reply is... I love is, that line. You know, it. we had... Uh, we've been in this home eight years. We've had one water incident, and it wasn't the sprinkler wasn't system. The sprinkler... the spring, None of the sprinkler heads have gone off all by themselves. Shocking, isn't it? None. <laughs> Not when you know what they do. Right. Um, it was a washing machine uh, plumbing line behind the wall yeah. that came apart. And caused a lot of water damage in our in our new home but it wasn't the sprinkler system and um they've never i always ask people when i think when they say that well what if that sprinkler head just goes off accidentally i said when was the last time you went in your bathroom and your shower came on all by itself (laughs) it doesn't happen and neither those things are a valve they're they don't my other favorite line is, uh, well, everything will get wet if I have a fire. And I say, yeah, well, everything can dry out. Nothing unburns. That is so, so true. And I got to tell you, I'd rather have 12 gallons a minute out of one sprinkler head than the way we used to do it at 150 gallons a minute. Or more. At, or or more, more these days. Yeah. Out of two or three fire hoses. Yep. Yeah, no For question sure. about it. So made my way to the NFPA. I truly believe that there's no question working in the fire department and working in fire prevention and public fire education played a part of working with folks in those communities that did that type of work. And, and it it was an easy sell to them, uh, but it's a hard sell uh, to the community and folks don't make it an easy sell, but it, 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 the, the reasons are for the right, reasons and for all these young firefighters who might be listening and think well fire sprinklers are going to take my job away it's never ever ever going to happen there will be fires always and given given today's call loads ems calls are 80 percent of the calls in your lifetime it will never it if we had fire sprinkler requirements everywhere yes maybe in a hundred years it would but that it's got to start Scott, places like Scottsdale and Montgomery County, right. you know, PG County, Maryland would wouldn't have at, a fire department. That's look at the, the statistics case, yeah. out there that have proven what a great decision that yeah. was for for uh, Scottsdale and the fire marshal there, who's a to me an an icon in in fire prevention yeah. uh, that got that passed years and years ago, back in the eighties, yeah. early eighties, yes. early eighties, yeah, yeah. So. It's first in the nation. Yeah. 
way out of the box thinking. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's uh, let's try to land this plane and uh, maybe see if we can go grab some dinner. What what else do you have? I see you got a list. What uh, what are we missing? What do you want to share with everybody? What I don't want to share. I want to share what I what I wish I didn't have to share, and that's a line of duty death. And on May twenty second in twenty ten, I had already planned to retire, um, but I hadn't announced it yet. Uh, we had a we had a fire, a residential fire. Um, high, it was a wind driven fire, and when it was called in, uh, the neighbor that called it in reported that the the occupant of the home was still in inside, which changes everything. Yeah. Um, the crew got there, and uh, it was a three person engine company that night. Um, they. They went in to do a search and rescue, uh, had had their hose line with them, had a tick with them, uh, were doing it by the numbers, and somehow the firefighter got separated from the line. And uh, you can you can go research this in NIOSH and look at the report. And I I encourage everyone who's in the fire service to peruse those reports now and then because they are great a great resource of information on how to make your fire department a better department and make your policies better policies, stronger policies, and life-saving policies on top of it for your firefighters. Uh, but we lost uh, a young firefighter that night that uh, got caught, caught inside, got away from the line for whatever reason. We don't know. Uh, why this firefighter crawled away from his captain and away from his line. Um, immediately, uh, the captain reported he couldn't couldn't find him, and the firefighter had the tick with him. Uh, so the captain didn't even couldn't didn't have the tick to look for him. Um, the captain followed the line back out of the house, and uh, we were by by that time, like a lot of departments, uh, a writ is. It's just part of, part of what you do. Don't ever let it be not part of what you do, ever. There's never a call, a structure fire call, or a call in a hazardous environment, breathing environment, where it's okay to not have a writ. Never is it okay. We had a writ. Uh, the writ went in. It took about nine minutes uh, to locate uh, the firefighter. Uh, by that time, he had run out of... Um, his SCBA had run out of air. He had taken his mask off, mm. and I mean, yeah. it's it's the story we've heard so many times of one breath and and he was gone. It's quick. Um, and I I the reason I bring this up is uh, some of you that are listening may already know about it, and I want to be honest about this happened on my watch. Some of the takeaways for me when we lost that firefighter. The first one is it didn't happen to me. It happened to him and his family. It didn't happen to us. It it hurt us, but it happened to them. And don't ever think or say anything that lets anyone think any different that this happened to you, to me, because it didn't. Yeah, it affected me, but it didn't happen to me. I've gone on about my life. My family's been here. That family has gone out without a young dad since 
since uh, 2010 for 13 years. And his two young children have grown up without their father and they'll grow up without a father. And, um, the take, that's the number one takeaway for me out of that was it didn't happen to me. It happened to them and always keep the people it actually happened to at the forefront of every choice and decision you make while you're taking that journey through a line of duty death. And the other thing, uh, that was a uh, takeaway for me was that we had to do better. And we immediately got NIOSH involved. And I think maybe some fire service leaders just want to back up and go, oh, no, they're coming to my door. They are an incredible resource. If you're looking, if you really want to look under the carpet, get NIOSH involved and listen to them and heed their instructions and heed their the results of their report they leave no stone unturned we were fortunate we were blessed because we were a hard training fire department that none of our training policies uh came in question um we had we were running four person engine companies that night we had a three person but they there are times when that's allowable if you have Mm -hmm. a backup so um Get NIOSH involved. They're your friend in this. They're not your enemy in this. There are, it's a great resource for your department to have them come in and be part of looking and tearing things apart to see what went wrong, what we could do to do better, what could have changed that night. Um, So embrace them uh, every time because they are, I feel like my experience was very positive with them. And, um, we changed some things we were doing, but we didn't have a staffing or a training issue. And we were, we were lucky. That really Uh, tells you two things. I mean, one, one, I always saw that as, you know, that NIOSH investigation or, or we've had a couple of close calls where we brought other department safety officers in and kind of did a critical analysis. The goal is not to blame so-and-so for doing something. It's to keep that from happening tomorrow or the next day or next year. Um, and, and it, it validates the fact that particularly with the training process or the training pro- protocols you had in place. Okay. We're doing this piece, right? Let's not, un- yes. let's not screw this up at all. Yeah. Let's keep this. Here's the area we need to focus on to keep it from happening. Again. You just touched on something that has happened more frequently since 2010. And this is the critical analysis team that you call in when you have a close call in your fire department. We didn't used to do that. That's getting more and more commonplace. And I, I love that that's being done in our department in Shawnee. It was just done there uh, because of a close call they had uh, where they had two firefighters trapped in a basement last year. Uh, for, fortunately, there's a, the outcome couldn't have been better, yeah. but it happened. And we didn't used to examine our close calls like we do now. The, and I speak of the fire service and it's a good thing. And don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Yeah. Learn, be part of it. If you get a chance. Yeah. Learning from mistakes is kind of the, the yeah. best way to, best way to learn. There's a lot of good ways. That's one of the better ways I think. Cause it's, it's, it's real life. It's, it's in concrete that happened. Yes. Here's why that happened. Okay. Well, here's how we can interrupt that, 
that fault line, that fault process the next time around and keep it from happening. Yeah. Because next time you might not be that lucky to get those guys out of that basement. Right. Yeah. I retired a little over a year later. Uh, I, I was particularly hopeful to retire after the night. I didn't want to retire before the NIOSH report. Mm-hmm. I wanted, if there was something bad in there, I wanted them. I was going anyway. I wanted them to have somebody to point a finger at right. So it wasn't the next guy that had to live with that. So, um, fortunately it worked that the report came out, I would say 90% positive for the things we were doing. And it was an unfortunate, unfortunate situation. And, uh, I doubt that, um, I've never heard of it happening again, but like I say, if you want to read about it, go get the NIOSH report from, from, uh, May 22nd, 2010. There's a lot of those and read about it. The other, the other thing I wanted to mention, Robbie, and then we'll wrap this up on your terms. Um, we're never left without significant things, calls that happen along the way that help us become better leaders and, and do things better in our department. Um, one of them, what happened when I was a young, young fire marshal that helped me embrace uh, the residential fire sprinkler uh, caveat of of what's available, a resource to put in homes. To, for the life of me, I don't know why we're not doing that, but uh, this young man, four-year-old boy, down in the basement with his, a walkout basement with his brothers, a walkout basement, but they had a bedroom built down there mm-hmm. that didn't have two ways out. It was not and supposed to have a bedroom in it. They yeah. were down there uh, using matches. And I, I know a lot of people may disagree with what I'm going to say. I have always stayed away from the term playing with matches because you're not, when you're using matches, I don't care how old you are, you're not playing. You may be mimicking, you may be doing, seeing what you saw, but it's not play and they're not playing with them. They're using them. This young man, Cody and his brothers were using matches. They got a fire going in the couch. Cody was handicapped. Couldn't walk very well. While his brother was making a trip to the bathroom to fill up a, a plastic bucket with water uh, to throw on the fire again, this, it got ahead of him and he couldn't get back in the room. Cody crawled under a bed. One sprinkler head would have saved uh, young Cody's life. That stayed with me my entire career. Was one sprinkler head would have saved Cody's life and he'd be here. Who knows what he, who he'd be, what he'd be today but those things shape our careers and they shape our what we believe to be the most significant things that we can try and tackle during our career and that was one from one for me for sure well you took that took that to heart we're we're in a house with sprinklers you're protecting your family and your your grandkids and you were out on the road for many years promoting it and I think we've done some good along the way and a lot more work to be done with that round. So it was one of the least expensive things we put in our home. It's unbelievable. It's, 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 you, it's, it's amazing to me to, you look around and see all the carpet and hardwood floors yep. and I go and a sprinkler system's nothing yep. compared not, not to, to that expense. The, the savings you get when you do it in a community versus yes. a single home, right. you know, the builder gets the benefit. It's, it's yeah. We don't have we're time. Pre- we're preaching to the choir. Right, we, right. we got another hour. We could, uh, yeah. we could talk about that one, but, uh, <laughs> Well, I'll ask you one last question. Okay. Uh, you know, career as a volunteer firefighter, uh, riding an engine, fire marshal, building inspector, fire inspector, fire chief, sprinkler advocate, 
If you could go back and do any one of them today, which one would you go back to? I probably would go back to the fire marshal, fire marshal days and fire marshal more like the guy that followed me in and was the fire marshal was the fire marshal for us when I was the fire chief and fire marshal more like him. He went on to become the fire chief in the city of Shawnee after I retired. And he is the absolute best. He's retired now two years. He is hands down the best fire chief that city ever had. He's a magnificent man. He's, he's people will follow him to the ends of the earth because he's so darn genuine and he, he's, he's not abrupt. He's careful and kind with his words. Always. I've never seen the guy lose his cool or lose his patience over something. He's just a magnificent man. And I would go back and fire marshal more like he did. I learned more about fire marshaling from the guy that followed me, uh, than, than the person that might've been ahead of me. Uh, and a great, a good, a good guy. And it was, uh, it's, we're still good friends. And uh, he's well, since retired. But sounds like uh, next time I'm in the town, I'll we'll, you and I, you and I and him will get together, and we'll get all three of us together and start telling fire marshal stories. I'll tell you, you will much rather listen to him than me. Uh, yeah, it, he's he's a you know great that's guy. Bringing bringing two people together that know each other, he'll remember stories, and you'll go, well, "Yeah, but what about?" And then yeah. he'll go, "Yeah, but what about?" And it, that's well, that's the kind of interaction that would be I fun to do. Him, and so. I'd be honored to do it with him and well, you. Well, yeah. I got to make another trip to to this part of the world then for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that with Jeff, Chief Jeff Hudson. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, sitting down and talking with me. Thanks for letting me come and visit you guys again today, and thanks for your hospitality. Um, enjoyed the conversation for sure. So and, am I. Uh, anybody who uh, wants to reach out to, to Jeff, shoot me an email, uh, firehouselogbook at gmail.com or uh, make sure you uh, follow along on Facebook and Instagram, FD Logbook, at FD Logbook on Twitter at FD Logbook Podcast on Instagram and follow along on Facebook too because I'm going to take a couple of pictures in this room right now. I'm sitting in a memorabilia office that it, it rivals some museum pieces. There's there's a lot of memories in here, I'm sure, and the picture on the wall with Jeff Hudson on the roof venting a roof on a single-family home. I'm going to shoot a picture of that and share that with everybody on those platforms so they can see uh, see a little bit about your your career and your history in pictures. So. I am, uh, again, blessed. Uh, my wife, Maggie, all this stuff was in boxes for some of it for more than 30 years. And, and she encouraged me to get it out and, and put it up. And, and, uh, it's, uh, I, I was so, it was an amazing ride and I didn't do any of it. And I worked with some wonderful people. I wish you and I would have gotten an opportunity to work more, uh, yeah. together chief. It would have been great to do that. I, I will, uh, say in, in ending this, that I am honored beyond what I can share with you to be part of this. And I can't tell you what it meant for me to be asked to sit down with you, uh, because I have a great deal of respect for you as well. Wow. And, uh, I, I, uh, have enjoyed it immensely. I'm just, and I'm just the guy. That, I'm just the guy that pushes record and sends it out on the yeah. web. It's your stories for yeah. sure. That's kind of why I did this. You know, it's uh, all of us that sits that in this chair would argue that. Yeah. But, yeah, well, but we'll okay. See. Well, Chief, thanks. Enjoy. You're it. Welcome. Thank you.